Crusaders and welcome to another edition of Batman, the animated series podcast. I'm your host, Alex Robson, and with Batman. me as always... I'm going to sing you a song because I can and I will. My brother, my co-host, my friend, baby. <laughs> well, I can't do my little joke now. You ruined it. No, no. Okay. So, look, keep it in, but start at the joke then. All right. And the guy who's angel of death that awaits is just his bad back. It's Mr. Will Robson. Say hello, Will. <laughs> well, I, I, had, I started smoking cigarettes a little bit again and drinking whiskey. So I think my angel of death is not waiting. I think it's <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. ready to go. <laughs> Phantasm just hands you a pack of facts and a bottle. <laughs> it's like, you do the rest. I'm I've out. Got, <laughs> I think I'm mask of the phantasm right now because I'm... <laughs> <laughs> chowing down man but i just, I don't, know, I just I don't know who this mysterious villain is but they're very fat so the suspect list is narrowed down mm. kind of a few people mm-hmm. one it's in particular jabba the hut or will robson <laughs> and i'm like oh why not they do this not a will robson <laughs> they've got a smoker's cough as well so <laughs> i think it's will robson and they're growing their hair out it's clearly him uh, all right, bud. Well, we are going to get into a gigantic review today of Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Batman Mask of the Phantasm. I almost said fat ass. <laughs> Mask of the fat ass. Uh, but first, we'll chat about the art life. How is the art life going? Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about Outbreaks, baby. My passion project, my little comic on Kickstarter. If you don't know, I'm a professional comic book artist and writer, and I've created my own comic book, which is my love letter to all things zombies because I'm a huge zombie nut. So please, I really implore you to go to Kickstarter and check out my project, Outbreaks, issues one through two. I know a lot of listeners already have backed, and I thank you so much for that. That's incredibly kind. We've actually become overfunded already, which is amazing Ooh. we're currently sitting at i think four thousand and thirty three pounds in funding which is just oh it's just amazing but that doesn't mean this is over baby that was the baseline to get funded that was just to get it colored printed and shipped now we're in a whole new game where i can start giving away free stuff to people free giveaways um I'm looking to raise enough money to to bring in a superstar artist for the cover of next issue. I'm not going to say who it is yet because I I have to wait till it's all confirmed. But they co-created what I believe to be one of the best zombie franchises of all time. So that would be absolutely incredible to land them. So once we hit like 5K, I should be able to do that. And then if we hit 6K, then I will be able to take the month of October to just work on my own stuff and actually pay myself for once for doing this book, which would be absolutely incredible. Yeah. Because I do this book completely pro bono. I, I I letter the whole thing. I write the whole thing. I color a lot of it. I draw a, a section of it. And I, I put it all together. And I get it printed. And I post it. And I, all of that is completely out of my own time. Because I just love this book so much. And I just want to get it into people's hands. So again, thank you for those that have backed it. But don't wait. This is the time to back it. There's only, I think, 22 days left. And then it won't be back until March for issue three. And if you're looking for some original art drawn by me, now is your chance because I am offering commissions in this Kickstarter campaign. So if you want me to draw your favorite Batman characters from Batman the Animated Series, maybe draw them as zombies or something, this is the place to do it. So please head to Kickstarter for Outbreaks Issues 1 through 2. Link is in the description of this episode. 
Hell yeah. Buddy, I am so happy and so proud of you for getting overfunded as as fast as you did. Thank you to everyone that's listening that has already pledged to his campaign. That is a huge help. Um, again, if you haven't yet, go check it out in the link down below. You just saying, though, that you're doing commissions and you want me to draw your favorite Batman the Animated Series character. I was like, I've already pledged, but I want a Batman the Animated Series hey. character. <laughs> If you've already pledged, that's no problem. You can change your pledge at any time and upgrade to a new pledge. So if you wanted something that I'm announcing through the campaign, it's totally easy to do. You just click on manage pledge and you choose a different option. All right. That sounds great. Okay. So we're going to go into our casting call because we have some new character or characters that we come across in this film. So let's get going with our live action fan casted Batman, the animated series universe. Who will they cast in this part? Okay, bud, we've come across a few characters. Now, I only asked you to cast one person in this, but I have, like last time, I have some choices, which I thought I'd just throw your way um, and see what you think, because I didn't want to, like, give you a load of different people. Plus, we never see these people again, really. Yeah, but... Arthur Reeves, who's this, you know, like sleazy councilman that, you know, is the mm -hmm. one that was behind the whole uh, Andrea's dad being murdered and stuff. Spoilers. Oh, oh come on. You've been listening Spoilers, to mate. <laughs> so Arthur Reeves, um, I thought would be great if he was played by Sebastian Stan, who was the Winter Soldier in the Marvel films. I think he, because he kind of has that look to him. He's very good in this movie that I think is very underrated on Netflix called, uh, it's got a long title, but it's like The Devil You Know or something like that. And it's with him and the guy who recently played Batman and the guy who recently played Spider-Man and loads of other people. Uh, and he's very good in that. And that's a good movie. And the and the clown from it. I, I'm not saying any of the actors' names. I don't know. Yeah, why, no, so. I know, but I know who you're talking about. The other choice I thought would be a good Arthur Reeves was Dave Franco, who's yes, uh, that's a very good choice. Um, the other other choice I chuck in there is the guy who played Jigsaw on the Punisher TV show, and he's been in some other things because he always plays quite. A, he's good, but he's too old now. He's so. too old for Arthur Rees, but that is a good choice. I can see him playing that role. I think Dave Franco uh, is better than Sebastian Stan, in my opinion, because there's this scene yes. where Arthur Reeves is being real creepy with Andrea at her apartment door, and I can see Dave Franco, I hate to say it, but I can see him being like forceful and being a creep. So I think that would be good. Just like his brother. <laughs> Just like his brother. Yikes. Um, and then, of course, we've got Andrea Beaumont, who we both have casting choices for. So why don't you go first and tell me who you want as Andrea Beaumont? Okay, so I was... Uh, my choice is slightly older, but she it's, it's fine. It still works. She's not too out of the age category, and she doesn't look her age at all. So my choice is somebody who I wanted some ginger representation as a ginger myself, because I'm sick and tired of all these ginger characters just being changing their hair colors willy-nilly all around. I'm sick of Even it. though, might I add, that our last episode when we were casting uh, Roland Daggett, I was trying to cast people with red hair, and then you're like, ah, slap a wig on him. Who cares? And I'm like, what? <laughs> So well, continue. I changed my mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, I'm trying to win this competition, so I am standing okay. up and I'm changing it. So I looked at Ginger Actresses. Now, she has stunning eyes, right? That's part of this character. She's got big, beautiful blue eyes. Yes, so she I, does. I've 
chosen someone else that also has big blue eyes and is a ginger, uh, who has a sort of classic tone to their voice and a very gentle tone to their voice, but also can mean strong and mm-hmm. uh, a threat. And that's why my choice is Bryce Dallas Howard for the role. Ooh, that's pretty good. She, how old is she, bud? I think she's... forty-two. That's not too old. She's she's only what five years older than uh, our Miles Teller, our, our Batman, yes. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty damn good choice. I can see her as Andrea. And um, look, you you look at Jurassic Park. You're not like, hey, that's a forty-two-year-old woman. No, thinking about her like in the village and stuff like that. Like it's just, uh, yeah, I can oh, see yeah, her doing this. Yeah, role. that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good choice as well. So I went with uh, similar styles. Mine is not a redhead, but I was like, well, he said <gasps> slap. A, he said <gasps> slap a wig on the last one. So I was like, slap a wig on him or dye their hair. I had a few choices here. I'll give you some runner-ups before I tell you my my final choice. I have Florence Pugh, who I thought would be very good. She's mm-hmm. a little too young. like She's like eight yeah. or ten years younger than Miles Teller. Too young. Um, too young, but she's great, so I thought she'd be good. Um, Kate Mara, who played the Invisible Woman in the Fantastic Four remake that came out like ten years ago. With Miles she- Teller. With Marstella, yes. So they were together in that film. Uh, Vanessa Kirby, who's Princess Anne in the Crown seasons one and two, and also in the Mission Impossible franchise. She's very striking. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great choice. Yeah, and she's the right age. And Amanda Seyfried from Mamma Mia and Big Love, I thought would be pretty good as well. Um, yeah. But still, again, I landed on... I wanted someone that, like... Uh, the thing about Andrea is that she's had a lot of stuff happened to her and she's she's a very tough woman like she's got she's seen a mm-hmm. lot but um she's that's still I, like i like your crown choice but that's I, I like that better than my choice well vanessa kirby yeah i think that's a really great casting choice okay well let's let's my choice i don't think you like this a- actress but i like her quite a lot and i've seen her in a lot of roles and this the strong like capabilities and personality that she brings to a lot of her roles that i like that's very andrea which is jennifer lawrence who's in mother why do you think i don't like jennifer lawrence i thought you said a while ago that you weren't a big fan of her her films or like her as an actress i can't remember no maybe i'm wrong great mother is a fantastic film she's amazing in it she's mystique in x-men like the uh uh, hunger games i got no beef with jennifer lawrence Okay, Maybe I well, said I th- that I had a little crush on her or something like that. Maybe that's what you're thinking about. Gotcha. I think she embodies Andrea Beaumont perfectly, and she is two or three years younger than Miles Teller, tops. So I think she's a great... Yeah, she's my age. She is your age, yeah. She's born in the 90s, in 1990. So I think she fits that role really well, because the thing about Vanessa Kirby is she's very striking and she's 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 got this seductive side that you see come out in the crown and in the mission impossible movies but there's something about jennifer lawrence where i can see her being like you know when she says to batman like he they took everything from me they took my dad they took you they took my life like they you know i can see jennifer lawrence embodying that and also see her like in that suit and then out of it and playing this i like bryce dallas howard better than jennifer lawrence for the role Okay, well, you know what? Let's leave it to the listener, shall we? Let's do a little listener yeah, poll. The three choices there, because the, yep. I think there's three good choices there. 
All right, let's do that. I think that'd be great. So listeners, you can vote on Spotify or you can head to our socials at Batman TAS pod to vote on who you think would be the better Andrea Beaumont. Is it Jennifer Lawrence? Is it Bryce Dallas Howard? Or is it Vanessa Kirby? So go and do that. They'll probably be up for about a week or so. So you'll have a week from when this episode comes out. I remember to vote for my choice because it makes my brother very upset. <laughs> no, I think if it's a better choice, like I think Bryce Dallas Howard would be good. Uh, if she wins, She'd I wouldn't be, awesome. be mad. Yeah, she would. Now, I know I said last time that we were going to do a two-part of Mask of the Phantasm review, but since we have a special guest coming on next week, this is going to be just a jam-packed big old review. So you don't have to wait for part two. We've got the whole review coming up right now. So are you ready, buddy? Are we ready to talk about Mask of the Phantasm? Here okay, I am, as a child watching little Wiggy play with his Joker jetpack toy and his Batman on the motorcycle as I watched this movie for the umpteenth time in the living room. Did I make you watch this movie a lot then? I have a distinct memory of when we were living in the UK as children and watching this movie on television and I was like on the floor with a Joker and the jetpack toy and Batman on the motorcycle as that scene was going on in the film. And I remember you were just like, basically glued to the screen like licking licking off the static from the crtv <laughs> yeah i like this film a lot so let's delay no further let's review mask of the phantasm Okay, this film is titled Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. It came out on December 25th, 1993, Christmas Merry Christmas! Directed by Eric Radomski and Bruce Timm. Credited sequence directors Frank Parr, Dan Reber, Kevin Altieri, and Boyd Kirkland. Story by Alan Burnett. Written by Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Marty Pascal, and Michael Reeves. And animation by Don Yang and Spectrum Animation. Funny watching the credits Rob being like, we've talked to these people. Right? I know. Featuring Kevin Conroy as Batman Bruce Wayne, Efren Zimbalist Jr. as Alfred, Dana Delaney as Andrea Beaumont, Hart Bockner as Arthur Reeves, Stacey Keach as Carl Beaumont and the voice of the Phantasm, Abe Vigoda as Salvatore Velestra, Dick Miller as Chucky Soul, John P. Ryan as Buzz Bronski, Bob Hastings as Commissioner Gordon, Robert Costanzo as Detective Bullock, Mark Hamill as the Joker, and Arlene Sorkin as Miss Bambi. Honorable mentions here, writers Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Marty Pascal, and Michael Reeves have all been credited previously on this podcast, including Alan Burnett even being our guest on an episode previously, so go check that out if you haven't yet already. And sequence directors Frank Parr, Dan Reber, Kevin Altieri have all been on this show as well, as so you can check out those episodes, plus obviously directors Eric Radomsky, Bruce Tim, and Boyd Kirkland have also been credited on this podcast previously as well. Don Yang was the studio behind this. Uh, we've seen their episodes not in Nothing to Fear. I've got Batman in my basement, Two-Face Part 2, The Forgotten, See No Evil, and the upcoming episode review of Joker's Favor. So that's the animation studio <laughs> behind this film. 
And then also Spectrum Animation um, did animation sequences in this as well. And they've done On Leather Wings, Heart of Ice, It's Never Too Late, POV, Beware the Grey Ghost, and the layouts of See No Evil. So some great episodes there. Could you see the animation style of some of those episodes in this film? Like Batman looks, his cow sometimes looks slightly different because it's how the animation studio would always draw Batman. Um, I noticed that quite a bit. Yeah, no, I, well, it it looks great. Obviously, it's going to look great. It's the film production version of the show. So, yeah, it looks fantastic. It does feel a bit different, though. It does, you know? doesn't it? Yeah, it feels... Uh, I, it feels I think, lighter in, in colour for some reason, weird reason. Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's sequences as well that I noticed where it, it got quite grainy and quite blurry at points. Like it went from Super HD or 4K to like the grainy picture. And I was thinking, I think that's when they had to zoom in on film cells to make it widescreen because originally it was supposed to be for TV. Yeah. So I think they were probably like zooming in on that shot. And that's why, did you notice those blurry shots sometimes? I noticed that uh, there's a, there's a scene in the beginning where sort of uh, I think Batman's like looking at a staircase or something or around a corner and the grain on like the staircase, the image of, of it being too zoomed in was very apparent. Right. Yeah, there was a few blurry character like close-ups as well, and I, yes. I noticed that quite a bit. Okay, actors creds here. We've got Dana Delaney as Andrea Beaumont. She is also known for playing Catherine Mayfair on Desperate Housewives, Josephine Marcus in Tombstone, who's Wyatt Earp's love interest in that movie. Uh, she's also Megan Hunt in Body of Proof, and she's Lois Lane in Superman, the animated series, and all other DCAU shows mm, and animated that's... features. That's why I recognized her voice. I was like, I know that lady's voice. Yeah. And you know her when you watch Tombstone. She's like, she's the one that, because Wyatt Earp has like a wife that I think is addicted to some opiate of some kind. And he meets this woman and they like fall in love, but they don't get together until the end. And that's like Wyatt Earp's like one true love. And she plays that character. I haven't seen that movie in like 20 years, but doesn't he like ride up on like a big stallion at one point? They have a race, I think, or something yes, like that. Yes, yeah, something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next up, we got Hart Buckner. Um, this is going to blow your mind, right? Who Arthur Reeves is. He's known for playing Ethan in the 80s Supergirl movie. That's not what's going to blow your mind. And he also plays Hans Bobby. He's Ellis in Die Hard. Oh, wow. That really makes sense now. I can really hear that. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Like <laughs> oh, no. Yes. He is also, fun fact here, he is the son of Lloyd Bockner, who voices Mayor Hamilton Hill in Batman the Animated Series. Oh. And that's that's why he was brought on, because he's his son. So that's really cool. Next up, we got Stacey Keach as Carl Beaumont and the voice of Phantasm, which I thought was a nice touch of this film to try and throw you off the scent of who the Phantasm is by giving the Phantasm the same voice who voices her, Andrea's dad. He is also no pl- known for playing Commander Alloy in Escape from L.A. He's Cameron in American History X. He's Wallenquist in Sin City 2. And also he plays Jimmy Brogan in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who's that like... Jimmy cop. Brogan! And also he plays Ken Titus on the 90s comedy series Titus. Do you know who Stacey Keach is? I do, yes. We got Abe Vigoda as Salvatore Valestra. Vigoda? Oh, no. <laughs> ah, he's, al- <laughs> he's also known for playing Sal Tessio in The Godfather 1 and 2 and Otis in Good Burger. Do you remember that movie mm-hmm. at all? Yes. He's the, I- old, he's the old man that's the cook in the back. Okay, gotcha. 
he plays Salvatore Valestra, the guy with like needs a oxygen mask because he smoked too much in this film. Uh, and he passed away in 2016 at the age of 94. What a wow. old age that is. Then we've got Dick Miller, who plays Chucky Soul. Also played Miller? No, don't do it every time. He also played the pawn shop clerk in Terminator 1, Joe in Small Soldiers, Boxy Bennett in Batman the Animated Series episodes, Holly Quinade and Holly's Holiday, and Mr. Futterman in Gremlins. He passed away in 2019 at the age of 90, another ripe old age. Mr. Fuderman, is that the is that the dad that buys the Gremlins, or is that somebody else? Probably I don't know. Else. I've never seen Gremlins, to be honest, so I actually don't know. Well, I own it. If you want to watch it, um, it's it's like a horror movie at Christmas. A I lot know, of people love a, it. I think it's yeah. just fine, but I wasn't. I didn't grow up with it. I saw it as an adult. Okay, I think nostalgia take, plays a big part in that. Um, John P. Ryan plays Boz Bronski. Uh, he didn't play anyone else I recognized or had seen, but is known for playing Rankin in Runaway Train, and he passed away in 2007 at the age of 70. Then we got Neil Ross, who plays the thug on the motorcycle. He's also known for voicing Norman Osborn in the Green Goblin and Spider-Man the Animated Series. And we've even had the chance to sit down with him in the past on our Spider-Man the Animated Series podcast show. So if you haven't listened to that, you can go back and check that out to hear us chat with the voice of the Green Goblin. Then the recently late great Arlene Sorkin will be credited in the upcoming review of Joker's Favor, where she first appears as Holly Quinn. But it was great hearing her as Miss Bambi in this film. She's the one who's like, Brucey, when she's like dancing on the piano. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and says, I for engagement. That's yeah. Arlene Sorkin as well. Yeah. And then, of course, I've just got to say, Kevin Conroy, Bob Hastings, Robert Casanzo, Mark Hamill, Efren Zimbalist Jr., we've credited them, but they were so good in this movie. All of them just bring in their A-game, especially Kevin Conroy was just incredible in this film. So shout out to I all th- of them. I thought uh, Efren Zimbalist Jr. was great in this uh, movie. Yes, I agree as well. well good Alfred. That. Great Alfred. Um, okay, utility belt of fun facts here. Got quite a few facts, but lots of cool ones to go over. This film takes place canonically after the episode The Cape and the Cow Conspiracy as it features the bat signal. That's the first time it appears in the show. So um, we jumped ahead a bit, but obviously we're trying to do this because it's just come out on 4K, so we know everyone's going to be talking about it. Yeah, we don't want to try and monetize off of the news. Yes, exactly. Most of the movie is based on the graphic novels Batman Year One and Batman Year Two. The flashback to Batman's first night of crime fighting, donning a jacket and ski hat, is parallel to Book One of Year One. The design and concept of the Phantasm was derived from the mm. Reaper, who is the villain. Yeah, in year two. and Tom McFarlane worked on Batman Year Two. That's where his famous cover of Batman holding that woman with the cape all around her and his other oh. famous cover with Batman jumping with the giant cape is, is, is from Batman year two. That's very interesting. Yes. I never put two and two together. The Reaper and the Phantasm are very similar looking. How interesting. I need like some of these. Okay. Because it was a feature film, the movie featured some content that could not have been shown in the original series. These include Batman throwing punches directly at an opponent's face, which was right in the opening sequence. In fact, the opening sequence ruins all of the restrictions where they're like this ain't your fucking yeah. tv show anymore they're showing alcohol bullets broken um, glass punch in the face yeah bloods people smoking cigarettes you know yeah like, ah, i love it all baby yeah <laughs> it was great even Just like me, Bruce... me in the corner covered in blood and broken glass with a fag i'm like ah, i'm loving it 
even Bruce implies to Arthur, like, you know where you can stick that handkerchief? And I'm like, up his ass? Yeah, <laughs> I said that say? out loud yeah. as well. Up, <laughs> up your ass? Late in production, Warner Brothers decided to make the movie a theatrical release instead of the originally intended direct-to-video feature. While the animators were thrilled and extremely grateful for this decision, this left them with less than a year of production time to scramble and convert the aspect ratio to widescreen, which is why I speculated there were some grainy shots in this movie. Although the Joker does play a pivotal role in the film, it was Alan Burnett's intention to tell a story far removed from the television show's regular rogues gallery. Burnett also cited he wanted to do a love story with Bruce because no one had really done it on the TV show or in previous films. I wanted a story that got into his head, is what Alan Burnett said. Right. Yeah, look, I, hey, I love Gangster Joker, right? It's something that tickles my nostalgia nipples because you get that <laughs> with Jack Nicholson in Batman 89. Yeah. Um, so I just think this, like, look, I, I do like the origin of him being a failed comedian. That's great stuff too. But there's something about him being a gangster and like assassinating a yes. father and then just walking out and eating an apple. Like, I'm like, that's where you get like the, the criminal from of the Joker, yes. right? And like, that's, there's something, oh, there's something, and him smoking a fucking fag as well. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm that. loving this shit. Yeah, I love Joker being a gangster like that. And like, the way he has all these pointy features and that bowler hat, like, he did look really cool. Yeah, he looks awesome. Do you think he's like, maybe like, did some studying in like England or something? Because the Joker in this show does have a slight Englishness to him, you know? Yes, he does. You're right. But the fact that he's got like a bowler hat as well when he's like, not the Joker, I was like, this motherfucker probably worked for like the London Mafia or something like that. Yeah, that's true. He like did a a, a year abroad. It's like a gap year. <laughs> yeah, and it changes. You know, some people like go to Japan. They make it their whole identity. He was yeah. like, I love fucking old England. <laughs> that's so. That's a really good point. This is the first comic book film nominated for an Annie Award for Best Animated Feature. It lost to The Lion King in 1994, and it wasn't until Disney's Big Hero 6 that another was nominated, and then finally Sony's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was the one that won that award in 2018. So that's pretty cool, but it yep. was the first comic book film to be nominated, which is dope. The computer-generated version of Gotham City seen in the opening credits was designed for the film, but was considered at one point to be used in Batman the Animated Series. The purpose was to create a virtual set to replace hand-painted backgrounds they currently had on the show, which would have helped speed up production, blah, blah, blah. But it was never ultimately used for that, which I'm very happy about, because I think that would have changed the whole vibe of the show. Hmm. And That's Spider-Man see- the Animated Series. I was just about to say, we don't see a CG city recreation until a few years later when they did a CG New York City that was in Spider-Man, the animated series. What do you think of that opening sequence of the CG city? It's a bit much. <laughs> I <laughs> agree. It's It cracks me up that, like, because I have subtitles on, and it was like, song in foreign language. Did you see that? Well, I tell you what, bud, there's a really cool fun fact that I'll just go into here where Shelley Walker created that song, obviously. She composed all the music for this film. And what they're singing is people's names that worked on the show that weren't credited because they only like did bits and pieces. And Shelley Walker always wanted to credit everyone involved. And because they weren't credited, they're singing their names backwards. That's insane. Isn't that cool? It's such a cool little thing. So she was like, you know what? If you're not going to put their credits in the main credit sequence, in the opening sequence, I'm going to, and I'm going to put it in the fucking song. I think that's dope. Good on you, Shirley. Yeah, I love that. 
Uh, more fun facts. Mark Hamill went to a screening at a local theater during the film's theatre. This is a release. classic story. This is everyone yeah. knows the story. There was only a few people in attendance, so he asked them to sit with them before the film started. Can you imagine going in there and being like, that's fucking Luke Skywalker. And <laughs> what's he doing watching this? And then finding out. He's, he he's down well the front like with a lightsaber. He's down the front. <laughs> <laughs> and then watching a movie with him that he's in it's crazy apparently citizen kane served as an influence for the flashbacks a story about loss and the passage of time oh that makes a lot of sense yeah that's right the fighting style bruce was shown practicing was very close to taekwondo despite him calling it jujitsu the move Andrea performed on him, however, was from jiu-jitsu. And if you watch closely when Batman and the Phantasm fight on the rooftop for the first time, the Phantasm does the same throw move on Batman. Yeah, I'd noticed that. That's cool. Now I just want Batman to say, Mojo Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> While the film was being written by Paul Dini, who was handling many of the Joker scenes, Paul Dini was actually attacked and beaten by two muggers on the pier drive and had to undergo reconstructive surgery on his skull. He spent several months recuperating from the attack, physically and emotionally. And as a result, he almost backed out of the film entirely and even considered giving up working on Batman altogether before he returned to work on the script. He later wrote a graphic novel on his experience recovering titled Dark Knight, A True Batman Story. And I recommend anybody to read that book. It's very dark, but it's very good. It's incredible. The I own it. I've only read it once and I'm about to move house and I know where all my comics are and I'm going to pull that out of the box and read it again because I remember a scene where he's recovering in his apartment and he's literally imagining Batman and other characters talking to him. Mm. And like, you know, it's his different modes of thinking, like scared or like powerful or like, you know, intriguing, like they're all represented by different oh. characters. The one that sticks out to me the most is when he feels like he doesn't deserve the Emmy. So he stands in front of the mirror with his shirt off with the Emmy and just like cuts the corner of it across his chest and self-harms. I was like, that's like, you shared that dark, dark moment. Yeah, that's, that's fucking crazy. Dark. Like, yeah. I was like, thank you for sharing that. Like, cause you know, it, it should help people that feel similar in those ways being like Paul fucking Dinny, like did that shit. Yeah. Like he's yeah. like Batman's granddad. So yeah. Crazy. Really good book. Really insightful. Uh, great art as well. It had a great art! So I recommend <laughs> go see it. When the Joker shoots the robots in the World's Fair, the sound of them winding down is the sound of the Millennium Falcon winding mm. down in Star Wars. Did you notice that? It's Yeah, whatever. And that's a, what was it, like a jet engine turning off or something like that? Isn't that yeah. what you get the sound effect from? Yeah, it's like, doo, 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 doo. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And of course, Mark Hamill Star Wars, so I think that was cool they did that. The Dummy Corporation's O'Neill funding and Adam's tool and die shown on Batman's computer screen are references to Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, who were respective artists and writers for Batman in the comics in the 70s. The episode Trial, which we know we've discussed this with Dan Reba, was supposed to be the plot of this film. Producers thought it worked better as a standard half-hour episode, so some fans disagreed with this, feeling that Trial is actually begging for a two-parter. You even thought Trial would be great as a film, right? Like 12 Angry Men, but Batman? Yeah. Uh, it's a great, fantastic episode, but I would have liked to have seen it with, uh, you know, letting loose, being able to do whatever they want in terms of people dying and stuff like that. The character of Arthur Reeves originated in the comics in Half and Evil. Reeves was a short-lived comic relief who had a bone to pick with Batman. He ceased all complaints and appearances after the Batman frightened him with one well-timed boo. 
That's where that character start and ended in the comics, which is very funny. Many of the items featured at the Gotham's World Fair were inspired from items featured in the famous 1939 New York's World Fair. The rocket and planet centerpiece echo New York's famous Tyrolin and Perisphere exhibits. Right, so yeah. Apparently that's it's in there. Used, used with um, Iron Man's dad and all that stuff as well, isn't it, in the films? Yeah. I mean, I thought that uh, Andrea's dad, Carl Beaumont, looked a lot like Howard Hughes. Yeah, you're right. Howard Stark. Yeah, Howard Stark, and who obviously was inspired by Howard Hughes. So, yeah. Um, Unlike in the series, Batman does not wear a helmet over his cowl while riding the Bat Cycle in this movie. So he's even like, I don't care, baby. I don't need no helmet. We can do whatever we want in this movie. Let's go. That's bad, though. Like, you should still, like... And also, it's it's like a part of the action figure for children, so they should have had it. In Batman Begins, Bruce Wayne uses a similar ski mask outfit used in this film before using a bat suit. It is unknown if this was an homage by the filmmakers, but it's very much looks like what he wears in this film as well. What do you think of that whole like get up on his first night out? I just think of you as a teenager, or were you a teenager, <laughs> or were you a twenty-one-year-old man? Uh, twenty-one, yeah. When you were a man, uh, which you, you're still all a man. <laughs> So as a an adult, man, a an adult man. man who could vote and legally drink, you went out dressed in a similar outfit with your ski mask on and all in black <laughs> to try and fight crime in a very low crime rated, rich suburban New Jersey area. <laughs> dressed as a common criminal walking the suburbs. I am so shocked you never got picked up by the police or anything like that. It's because I was too good at that being a vigilante that's why they never called or you probably just went to the end of the street and back and that was it (laughs) kind of yeah (laughs) and then i was like wheezing and panting and having a cigarette because i almost got caught by someone very batman of you (laughs) after nearly getting caught well in this film maybe everyone's smoking in this film Uh, so Bruce Tim went through approximately 20 different character designs for the Phantasm before creating a version that resembles the Grim Reaper with uh, Azrael's mask as well. Looks very Azrael, that character from the comics. The large blade on the right hand was not part of Tim's original design and was added later at Alan Burnett's insistence. So that's cool. Alan Burnett added that like giant, what, what would you call that? Like a scythe? Is it like a scythe or is it It's different? a scythe hand, isn't it? Scythe, yeah. Scythe hand, yeah. Because the Grooper has a scythe, so it makes yeah. sense that they have a scythe. Like, it's just an action figure accessory. At the it's end an of the action day, figure, it? yeah, yeah. It's but something it looks that, cool. I think it looks Clay, cool. It does look cool. It's something that Clayface could easily just shoot out of like his gooey hand as a toy. Yeah, yeah. Dana Delaney delivers the line, he laughs exactly as she did in Tombstone, which came out the same year. So that's interesting that she had the same line twice in two different movies. Oh, wow. Mask of the Phantasm was only shown on the big screen in the UK in two or three British film festival screenings, then went straight to video and Laserdisc. This is the time of Laserdisc. Oh, I, I kind of... If I, I've never come across them, but I kind of dig Laserdisc because as someone who collects certain things, but is also a minimalist, which are always at battle with each other... I have a, you know, I'm a big vinyl collector. I love my first pressings of vinyl. And you're, what you're t- presenting me is like, hey, as a cinephile, I have this version of movies that looks like vinyl and stores like vinyl, but it's films that you love with huge gatefolds showing you interesting stuff and behind the scenes pictures. And like, I like, there's a part of me that's like, I want to get all of those motherfuckers. Probably never watched them, but um, I don't know. I've never come across them in the wild, though. 
Well, I tell you, a friend of the podcast and regular guest of the show, Kevin Altieri, has the laser disc of Batman Mask of the Phantasm still. Oh, cool. Which Probably, is pretty I'm, cool. I don't know. I don't even know what that market's like. I don't know if they're stupidly expensive or if they're, if they're criminally undervalued. I have no idea. Well, that's going to be your homework coming up then. So you're going to start getting into collecting laser discs. That's <laughs> I can't cool. wait to come over and you're like, what do you want to watch on, on laser disc? <laughs> no, I don't think I've played them. I don't know. Just keep them on the shelf and talk about them when people come over and they're like, oh, no, not the laser disc story again. Says the guy that fucking just told me recently that he's built a shelf in his new house that he's going to dedicate to collecting Batman stuff. I haven't built it yet. I'm considering it. I haven't even oh, okay. moved yet. But yes, I do have a little uh, need to have some Batman stuff. Um, it's not, look, there's nothing wrong with collecting. I collect retro video games. I collect vinyl. Everything I collect is like nicely fitted and, and put away. Like it's just, I, I've never been the type of guy that like wants to be like, look at all my shit. I, I like it tucked away for those private moments when I want to enjoy it to myself. <laughs> you're, you're a secret collector. I am. Continuing on, Hans Zimmer worked as a synthesist in the music department for this film. He would later compose the score for the Dark Knight trilogy and Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. Cool. So another, ba- another Batman film he worked on. Uh, Hans Zimmer also really uh, admired Shelley Walker. He thought that she was one of the best composers he ever heard and knew. I've seen interviews with him talk about her. So it just shows how good Shelley Walker That's was. That's cool. Absolutely. The Phantasm would not re- reappear in the DCAU until the episode Epilogue, which is where Amanda Waller tells the tale of an agent she hired to kill the parents of a young Terry McGuinness, who's Batman and Batman Beyond. Though the assassin is never named, the depiction of the event clearly shows the Phantasm stalking Terry McGuinness's mum and dad. However, a visibly aged Andrea Beaumont refuses to complete the assignment, citing Batman's refusal to resort to murder to achieve his goals and how doing so would dishonor what he stood for. So, yeah, we don't see Phantasm for a long time, but I think that's cool that she's still like being the angel of death, you know, and is basically an assassin for hire by Amanda Waller. That's really cool. Very cool. The fate of the Joker is left unrevealed in the movie and addressed in the following episode of the series, but a DCAU comic named Shadow of the Phantasm. So it was going to be an episode, but then became a comic. It was written by the film's co-creator, Paul Dini, where he explains that Andrea took Joker down into the sewers, beating him viciously and came close to killing him, but hesitated upon realizing that Joker had become so twisted and insane, he was no longer the man that murdered her father. Explosions then separated them, and Joker is knocked into the water and is carried away by the current. The comic also details the fate of Arthur Reeves, who was ruined by his connection with the mob and his crusade against Batman. He later meets his demise, trying to get his revenge on Andrea. So Arthur dies in this story, and Joker is let loose by Andrea in that scene. I like that. I mean, that just doesn't explain like her character later on in, in Batman. What's it called? Uh, Beyond. Yeah. Because she says killing is like, that's what you have to do. That's the thing that separates you and I. It's classic. It's like Daredevil and and the Punisher, right? Like, I, I like mm. that duality of, of the coin of we both want justice, but we deal justice in different ways. Um, I don't like that at all. I think that he should have gotten away somehow because I think that that is the dude that murdered her fucking father. Yeah, her dad. Yeah, it's true. And regardless of what he turned into, you wouldn't... Like that's that's I would never look at someone being like, like maybe if they change for the good, right? Where you're like, okay, well now they're like 
a super loved part of the community. They do a lot of good for the community. Like mm. they've really like changed. Like they are not the same person. He's even worse now. He's a psycho yeah, killer clown. Yeah, yeah. Like you would do the world of fate. I think even Batman would be like, well, at least that one's fucking dealt with, you know? Like yeah. it's, it's yeah. just, uh... And Andrea goes on to be continuing to be an assassin and a murderer. So she hasn't changed either. Exactly. Yeah. So that I do not like at all. That's true. It's better left unsaid, which is probably why it went to the comics and was never made into an episode because it's you might as well just leave that to mystery. Like, yeah, the Joker got away somehow, and Andre obviously then left, and like, that was it. <laughs> and the Joker got away. <laughs> Another Christmas connection. Uh, during early development, the film was going to be called Batman Masks. It was, however, changed to Batman Mask of the Phantasm during the production, even though the Phantasm is never referred to as the Phantasm in this film once. What do you think of this title? Because I've never liked the title of this movie. Mask of the Phantasm? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it could... I don't know what I would rather call it, but it doesn't really like give me an idea what it is because you don't know that the phantasm is called the phantasm they never name that character as i said and also mask of the phantasm like i guess they're trying to be like who is under the mask but it doesn't really imply that to me unless i've seen this movie and know what it's about like if i saw that on the poster i'd be like i have no idea what that movie's about or what it's implying yeah what would you call it do you have any ideas i think phantasm by itself would have been a stronger title batman phantasm yeah or like you know what they did Batman Mystery of the Batwoman later on. What about Batman Mystery of the Phantasm? Why not just or call it that? The Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you singing the Tottenham uh, theme, mate? <laughs> Finally, our final fan fact of the day here. Kenner, which had already released toys I for hardly Batman. know her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had already released toys for Batman the Animated Series, produced several tie-in figures for this film, including the Joker and the Phantasm. The Phantasm was unmasked, however, in this toy, which spoiled a giant plot in this <laughs> film. Whoopsie. Yeah, there's Andrea's head right there when you buy the toy, and you're like, oh, okay, so Andrea's the Phantasm then. <laughs> and you know what was weird is, like, we had that toy, mm-hmm. and the thing is, is obviously the Phantasm is, like, Batman's, like, broad and height like equivalent Mm -hmm. but when we had the toy because it was little andrea you just had this little toy with like a phantasm like hood and shoulders you put over it and it just looked like a little person running around with a phantasm outfit when you were playing with the toy because she's so much shorter than batman so it was such a weird toy to have and i rarely played with it because i remember being like this ain't the phantasm it just looks like you know like a little boy version of the phantasm I'm sure you could have found another toy to put it over to make it accurate. Yeah, you probably could have, yeah, because you could take the the whole thing off with the cape. But there were so many toys. I mean, Joker Jetpack, right? Like, what a toy. Yeah, I love that cool. toy. Yeah. Tasty, tasty rubber jetpack. <laughs> Was it rubber? I think so. Okay, again, if no one knows, my brother sucked on a lot of, like, hard or soft rubber toys. We don't know why, but he loved to suck on them. Put it in my mouth like chew, essentially, and just, like... <laughs> suck the saliva and i liked the way my saliva tasted when it was coated by whatever chemicals from the rubber <laughs> so the fact that you go into that much detail is wild at how much that impacted you but hey that's what you love to do i would come it downstairs sh- sometimes and you would just be sucking on it no I, that's you, you you're just saying that you've never seen me do that ever i well, did was the, it a private thing <laughs> i did my rubber sucking in private <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Okay, bud, let's get into this. What did you think of this film overall? Um, really great first act. Really great second act. Now that you said like the flashbacks are like um, Citizen Kane, I totally see that and I respect the film even more now knowing that. But this movie has a very, very weak third act. And there's a lot of problems that I would like to discuss about the third act. Oh, Questions that I have that make no sense. Okay, okay. Well, let's get into that then first before we go any further. But I would say, I because you said to me, not as good as I remember, which doesn't mean you didn't like it. It's just not as good as, as you remember, as you said. No, but, there's, there's parts I love about this movie a lot. Yeah. I thought you were going to say... It had a great first act and the second act was weak and then the third act picked up because that's how I felt. So it's mm. interesting. Let, okay, let's hear your first. What are the questions you have about the third act? Why does Joker have the whole place arms to blow up? Why? Why does he do that? He's got a because he's got a, a back out plan, right? Like an escape plan. His escape plan is to, is to blow the place up, but he's not holding this place hostage or anything. It's just his hideout. Why is he blowing it up? I, I don't know. Well, for a circumstance like this, if Batman ever finds me, I can blow this place up and get away. Maybe that's that's ridiculous to say. That's not well, that's not a plan that, that happens. Doesn't seem like too much of a stretch. Okay, I thought it was going to be uh, more of a a, a brain stumper, but it added all this conflict in the the third act of like this place is going to blow. That I was like, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. I was like, this is a very strange. <laughs> choice like i shouldn't have ended there i don't even like him in like the world of the future thing i don't like the whole segment of of the film it's it doesn't really fit with the rest of it the other way it fits is that th those two went on like a date to the world of the future and he saw a future batmobile and that's the connection to this final place like that doesn't make much sense to me like it, it should have been in a much more interesting place i just the stakes were just strange like that it was it was just so that they could separate the characters at the end, being like, mm. I think like they were like, well, Batman would stop the scenario, right? So how do we stop Batman from stopping the scenario? The place is going to blow. And I just think that, I don't know, that seemed a bit weak to me. It seemed like a bit of a cop-out. And I wasn't big on that. Also, here you have Andrea being this badass fucking character, this whole movie, like dodging cars, pushing over extremely heavy statues onto people and killing them being a menacing threat. The moment she sees the Joker, she just decides to take her mask off. Did her mask have all of her confidence? Because after that, she becomes a damsel in distress, just hanging from a pole, screaming. And I was like, what happened to this character? Like, she's just completely changed now. And then it was all on Batman's, like, shoulders to come in and save the day. I didn't like that either. I thought she should have completely held her own and about to kill the Joker. And I think Batman should have stepped in and been like, don't fucking kill the Joker. Right, right. Yeah, that's that is actually a better way of doing it. The only thing I really liked about that uh, confrontation between the Joker and Andrea is that the Joker's not scared at all. He treats it like a game because he she's been scaring everyone. Right, like mm -hmm. all of her tricks and her get up has scared. Well, because he knows person. who she is. Exactly. And what I love about that is he knows who she is because he's like, it's not Carl Beaumont because I killed that motherfucker. And the moment he finds out that Andrea's back when he's like interrogating Arthur in his office, he's like, put two and two together. It's her, which I love that Joker's the first one to figure that out. 
But what I thought was great is that Joker treated it like a game, like it was like another version of Batman. Like he's sets the the robot on her and he like beats her with like baloney. Like he's treating it like the Joker would. Like I'm not intimidated by you at all. In fact, I'm going to intimidate you. That's what I liked. I felt like he kind of turned the tables on her and was like, I'm going to disarm you. I'm going to take out your scythe hand. Do you think it was way too much Joker, like having this universal remote controlling everything? Yeah, everything particularly did stuff. And then they fought like uh, Godzilla and King Kong. Like, it's a weird ending, and it reminds me of the episode we watched recently, where with the uh, the fortune or the future teller, and Batman ends up fighting him like in the, the a bunch of planets and stuff. Like, I don't like that shit. I, I think it's weird. Like for a movie that had odes to Batman Year One, where he's fucking running for the police, amazing. Having a movie where we see his origin story, we see the Joker's origin story. We see so much incredible stuff in this movie to end at like the world of tomorrow, like it rusting and falling apart. Like I, I don't know. Maybe the writers like, hey, you fucking idiot. The world of tomorrow is rotten. This whole movie was about the potential tomorrow between Bruce and Andrea. And look, it's fucking ruined. Look who they are now. Okay. I get that symbolism, right? Sure. But I don't know. It's just not, it's not, I don't know. I didn't really like it that much personally. Yeah. I, I, I like the ties to the future where um, he's like, it's making me think about the future. And she's like, what am I in it? And he's like, you know, maybe. And that was their first date. And then obviously they end their relationship at the same place which i thought was great years later that was a really good tie-in but yeah i the the whole fight sequence like the king kong godzilla as you said was uh kind of uh, over the top and ridiculous the only thing i really laughed at and liked was when joker was in the empire state building and he was like sneaking behind batman and you yeah. see the building like up bobbing <laughs> up and down and then you see his smiling face through the the windows yeah. i laughed at that i loved that because the, the music went along with it like it did like a mickey mouse like dum, 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 yeah. dum. i loved it on the on the topic of symbolism if that's what they were trying to do I understand that. And the fact that it all blows up saying that they don't have a future together. I like that, but, and I don't know if that was their intention at all or not with this, but I just think that that was a bit forced if that was the intention. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think it could have a strong ending, especially, but I do like the idea of, you know, I think it happened in that daredevil show as well, where uh, the Punisher and Daredevil were at each other, and Daredevil was like, "You can't kill this person and stuff." It's a classic old thing, like you can't go over the line. Like that's yeah, that's Batman's whole thing, and and they didn't really inject that enough into this story. Where I thought it would have been more interesting that she's a fucking cold blooded killer to get her revenge, and he's getting his vengeance by. And, and also that that line he says at the end like vengeance won't like do anything. It's like, hey, oh. you are the one that says I am vengeance. Yeah, I am the knight. <laughs> well, I am. What's Batman. great? What's great about that is she makes a really great point, and then Batman goes, "But Andy, what will vengeance solve?" And he gets yeah. like really close up, and the shot of him, he looks so derpy, and then. She says, like, if anyone knows the answer to that, Bruce, it's you. And he looks so shocked by that answer. And l- earlier on in the film, they meet in her apartment. And she's like, if anyone's controlled by their parents, Bruce, it's you. And she gets Batman that twice. Was like, that yeah. was the best line. Also, one of the funniest scenes in this movie is that apartment scene when she goes in the room and turns on the light and Batman's like in her face. Like, I'm sorry, you would have smelled his protein powder breath, right? Like there's no way that you like, I know that she's, I know to be fair, I know she did see him beforehand when she was kissing that guy, but like the fact that you walk up to the lamp, like to turn it on 
and be like smooching close is yeah. very funny to me. Maybe he saw her smooch and was like, I wanna I wanna yeah. go smooch too. <laughs> yeah, kiss from a rose. <laughs> My favorite part of the whole opening sequence is when Batman stomps that table with the guy under it. I love that so much. Mm. So it's such a great Batman moment where he's like struggling on the table for his gun and you just hear as like the table. It's like a bouncy ball's under there, you know? It's great. It's such a great I, noise. I really like uh batman punching or well, bruce wayne punching that guy in the face on the motorcycle oh just, yeah and he's in like this awesome like ninja pose and that like that he just flies into that guy's face and it, yeah. it, i mean <laughs> nose broken teeth broken yeah. like it must be a mess. Yeah, yeah it must be a mess his, his whole face goes into it it's uh, itself i love it so after Batman gets blamed for killing Chucky's soul, he spots Phantasm and he chases after the Phantasm only to find a smoke trail leading through an exit door. And he just... Like, <laughs> now, was this a smoke trail or was it a vape trail? Because in my head, that mask of the Phantasm was just like producing constant vape clouds. And as I was watching it, me and my wife were joking where like, you know how Batman's going around being like, oh, I found some mysterious residue left over, Alfred. And Alfred sniffs it. He's like, I think that's key lime pie, sir. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's jelly jelly donut alfred ah yes could be so that's a pretty good flavor actually uh i think it's i don't know like tropical berries i think i don't know a hint of vanilla can't tell mm. i think it's vamp toast um mm, yes <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's uh, it's really funny though because the phantasm escapes there's a smoke trail he obviously saw someone and then he just narrows his eyes like mm, they got away and i'm like Run after them. Like, it's only a staircase, Batman. What are you doing? I'm tired. <laughs> I want my vape. <laughs> yeah, this vape's gone right to my head. I have another one. I do love seeing Bruce as a detective in the cave, uh, and he's analyzing the windshield, and Alfred, like, tries to get involved, but the moment Bruce says, like, polymer or adaptogenic, Alfred just rolls his eyes and walks away like, what a fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I did not help raise a nerd, so. Where's that phantasm? I want, I want to smoke some of that good stuff. <laughs> do you have any English breakfast tea? <laughs> Might be nice. <laughs> or just some weed. I, I'm down to clown with just weird <laughs> i like the cakey variety so so this scene just blew my mind we get to a party at wayne manor and bruce is like being a mac daddy he's got a woman on each arm and then arlene sorkin comes in and she's like and the i word for engagement but then immediately i'm uncomfortable because her character's asian and her eyes are just black like she's yeah like an alien like it's like a great white shark i was like what what what's yes, going on was, here guys that was uh maybe a racist choice i'm not <laughs> sure i'm not asian so i cannot confirm if, I, if that's offensive or not so yeah bruce's first night out as a vigilante is his look is is is, is, is interesting um, my favorite thing is that batman's first words ever spoken as a vigilante <laughs> in gotham city Oh, <laughs> on your stomachs, yeah. <laughs> arms spread. They're like, "What are you into, man? <laughs> is that like is that kid. leather you're wearing? You're wearing that? <laughs> that is that is definitely latex leather. I think it's a latex leather combo. <laughs> spread your legs. I mean your arms. <laughs> oh, all right. Look, hey, I'm. You chose the right guy. I'm into this type of stuff. <laughs> Caught me in a good spot. What did you say your name was? Gimp Man. 
<laughs> I am bondage. <laughs> I am rigging. <laughs> I am gimp man. <laughs> Yes, uh, father, yes, father. I shall become a gift. <laughs> he's like, he's in his, he's in his study. And he's like, he's like, I don't know what to do, father. Yeah, he finds his dad's like sex box full of all the sex toys and gimp outfit. <laughs> yes, father, I shall become a gimp. No, oh. no, that's not that word. I did not want you to find that he, one. He puts the ghost for the first time. Alfred has the same reaction he has. Like, <laughs> Oh my god. I Spread your legs. <laughs> On your stomach. Over the bed. <laughs> and then he's finishing. He's like, <laughs> Maybe like, I don't know, like the picture falls off and behind the picture, it's like his parents' sex dungeon in there. That's yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. There's like a picture on the wall with Alfred included as well. <laughs> on your stomach, sir. Oh no, no, no! Oh, <laughs> uh, so speaking of Alfred, we, we see Alfred in the past, and he's still bald. I felt so bad for him; like he's got black hair instead of white hair. Mm-hmm. But the dude is still bald, and I'm like, oh, Alfred, how long have you been bald, mate? I feel so bad for you. Oh, I, I knew someone that was bald by the age of sixteen. That sucks. Yeah. So I like how Alfred also catches Bruce and Andrea smooching twice in this film. And he does that little like, oh, but then he does like a cheeky look over his shoulder. Like, I like to watch, sir. (laughs) (laughs) As your parents do very well. (laughs) They were gimp man and... (laughs) And gimp gal. Gimp gal. (laughs) Gimp gal. Oh my God. Their, their portrait in the in the mansion or whatever just has two gimp masks on it and they <laughs> like that's what we did that day we had our portraits taken and then we had sex with the photographer it was it was the greatest sex we ever had son <laughs> oh i shot my gray ghost all over way <laughs> that's a little throwback for you <sighs> um, I don't think yeah that- you know what alfred was on it right she that lady came over and before you knew it, Alfred had a jug of lemonade ready. Yes. And I said, squeezed. That, I said that to my wife, like, wow, he's on it. And she's like, well, he's a butler. I was like, all right. Like, you know, I get it. Um, <laughs> he's more than a butler. He's his father figure. I know. But like, uh, I was just very impressed that he like immediately had lemonade ready to go. And then my yeah, wife was yeah. like, what are you saying? I'm like, no, th- this is not about <laughs> you. I'm not saying when someone comes over, I demand you to have a jug of lemonade ready. It's like I'm not everything I say has like a hidden meaning, nor nothing I say has a hidden meaning. Anyway, that's, that's the, a long time. It's the end of the film. By you, the time you finish that conversation, you're like, "Well, we missed the whole movie." <laughs> I thought the graveyard scene with Buzz Bronski was great. Like the vibe of that graveyard being being all still and quiet was spooky. I thought mm-hmm. it was a really cool set. And then Phantasm killing him with a gravestone in an empty grave. I was like, that's super convenient. He's already in a grave, like dead. I thought that was great. Mm, I think so. that happens in the movie Creepshow, doesn't it? Someone is in a grave. Ed, uh, not Ed Helms, the, the guy from um, uh, the, the Rock, who was the Navy SEAL leader. Oh, Ed Harris? Ed Harris, thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he gets crushed by a, a gravestone in that film. Oh, okay. And then uh, we get Batman using a tape recorder when inspecting the graveyard. I think that's a nice touch, seeing him like be a detective and then visiting his parents' grave and Andrea spots him. And I like how that's how she finds out that Batman and Bruce are the same. 
instead of like some exposition she like she like figures it out right then and there i thought that was cool well i also probably noticed- a stupid move on bruce wayne's part for being fully dressed as batman and just going to the the wayne grave i mean yeah. anybody seen that would be like oh batman's bruce wayne like <laughs> no one else is visits that grave but bruce wayne and it's a murder scene so you're gonna expect like police to be all around you know what i mean yeah that's not a great idea and then we cut to Batman, like once he finds out Andrea's back, just being such a creep, spying on Andrea and Arthur having dinner together. And what made me laugh so hard is that he's so visible from where they're sitting. Like it, you can see him right there on the ledge as they're eating. And I thought it'd be funny if they knew he was there and and he's reading their lips. So they start like bashing Batman and making stuff up to make him mad because he can't do anything. I just thought it'd be funny if they like contradicted everything Batman stands for. Like, do you hear Batman loves guns? Like he loves shooting guns and killing people and he's like no big, big racist too i don't know if you know this <laughs> yeah, and sexist <laughs> have you seen the criminals he brings in none of them are white so i'm just saying <laughs> it's just, it's just bursts in the window excuse me that's not true at all <laughs> and then they got like one right by accident like did you hear that batman is actually billionaire bruce wayne and like he has a cave below wayne manor and that's his trusty butler alfred helps him in his escapades and he's like how do they know all of it <laughs> Did you know that Thomas Mothway went to some kinky shit? <laughs> <laughs> so Bruce meets Andrea's dad and Carl Beaumont like looks like Howard Hughes, as I said. Um, but then we see young Arthur Reeves there and he looks like the biggest nerd of the whole movie. Mm. Like he's in suspenders, bow tie, he's got glasses, like parted hair. He looks like Steve Urkel. I was like, who is this mm-hmm. fucking nerd? Mr. Freeze comes out of nowhere. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Two-faced, Big Bad Hob gives him a wedgie. <laughs> in that day he learned to never look like a big time nerd ever again. <laughs> and then you're a cigar man. Did you notice what Carl's cigars were that he was smoking? That like no. uh, Sal Balestra Probably Cubans, I would assume. I thought so too. They're called Bengal Tiger. So I thought like he's getting Indian cigars, I guess. That's that's the reason. It was just a weird little thing added into this movie. Um, the biker gang that Bruce fights, like we talked about that great punch, but some of their outfits were way over the top, man. Like all leather wearing like a pilot's cap. Like they looked like they were auditioning. Did you say all leather? <laughs> <laughs> wow, these guys like- look pretty cool. <laughs> My, what are you guys doing after this? I got a shindig going on at Wave Manor. I thought they looked like uh, Joel Schumacher's, like they're auditioning for that Batman, you know, like the you biker they, gangs and that. They felt they felt like that with the yeah the biker gang and like just that mm. style of criminal. Yeah, and Robin's motorcycle in Batman and Robin even looked like one of the motorcycles in this film. I thought like it had that like big old cap, like hubcap over the wheel in the back that looked just like the one in the film. What was that guy uh, doing on the pier? Was he just selling like? What was he doing? Why did he have a big I money box of jewels and things? Yeah, he just ha- he was just selling jewelry and watches, which he probably stole. So like Bruce <laughs> is trying to save a criminal from being attacked by criminals. Like I was like, no, no one st- sets up a little store and is like, yeah, watches and jewelry here. I'm completely clean. I, you know, I didn't steal them. Well, that's a big assumption, bud. It's Gotham City, mate. He stole that shit. That's true. It is Gotham City. <laughs> Crime is rampant. If only there was a leather-bound man that was into very devious sex that could save everybody. <laughs> this is running throughout this whole this whole review. Yes, it is. Uh, so I don't know what else to say about the scene where Bruce is pleading with his parents' grave, besides it just being, in my opinion, like Kevin Conroy's best performance he's ever done in this role. Like that scene, the tone he has, the way he inflects certain words. Like I actually believe. 
that that character struggle in that scene you know it's just it's so good the way he's like please like tell me it's gonna be okay i think it's just amazing it's so good yeah i agree we then suddenly cut back to batman on the roof where he was watching andrea and arthur and i was like oh yeah i forgot that like this whole flashback has been whilst he's just watching them like they've left like it was hours ago you know what i mean like they've gone he's been thinking about this Gotham's like overrun with crime and they're like, where's the Batman? He's just thinking about his ex-girlfriend on a fucking rooftop somewhere. We all need our moments to do things like that. Some self-reflection. <laughs> yeah, but that was like four hours. <laughs> the restaurant was closed. Like they had all gone home. I always found it weird too that Alfred chose the example of like how well he knows Bruce by saying, I diapered your bottom. I bloody well ought mm. to, sir. Like as a kid, I didn't hear diapered. Like I don't know why it just didn't sound like it. As a kid, I thought he said, I died at your bottom. <laughs> so I bloody well ought to, sir. And I was like, died at your bottom? What is he talking about? I am your butler, after all, so I know a lot about your bottom, Sam. Um, I do like the whole proposal scene and the bats interrupting. That was cool. And, of course, it leads to probably my favorite scene in this whole film where he comes to be Batman for the first time like because he finds the cave and all of that stuff. And I really love that scene because Alfred's reaction like really sells it for me because he's afraid of Bruce, even though that he knows that that's him under the mask it shows like how scary he is and how he becomes a different person as Batman. I thought that was really great. Yeah. If you can strike fear in the man that knows you the best, then yes. that's uh, that's a good tool to use. Absolutely. So this, uh, so this whole time, you know, when I said like uh, the second uh, act kind of dragged, like mm-hmm. talking about it now, I don't mind as much, but when I was watching it. I was kind of like, okay, like we're getting a lot of like backstory and flashbacks. I get it, but it's just all heavy. It's about like Andre and Bruce and it's all sad. And so the introduction of the Joker was so needed. Like when he came in and it's Mark Hamill being his best Joker self, I was like, that's so refreshing to have. And I think this may be Hamill's like best performance as the Joker because he's so unpredictable. And the way he like brings Sal in and he's just like, you know, me custer, su custer. Well, how I, I don't know the Spanish saying, I can't, I can't remember it exactly, but he's so welcoming. And then he's like, that's what I want to see a nice big smile. Like my old pal, Sal. And then he fucking kills him. I was like, that's, that's a joke. Ju- I love that. Yeah. As, as I'll say, I'll say it again. I always say, it, I know, but he's the great white shark to me. And so the fact yeah. that, and he was so that in this film, uh, the fact that like that guy thought he he could be safe was like, you know, it's like he jumped into the the sea with a uh, with a, a barrel full of chum to make a deal yeah. with a great white and got fucked. Yeah, I love that. That's that's a good point. And of course, you get the amazing line that you and I have quoted a million times over the years. Don't touch me, old man. I don't know where you've been. I love no. the animation there where he sticks his chin out and he smacks his hands away. Yes. Yeah, I think that's great. And he goes red around him as it like does a close up on his face. <laughs> I mean, like when he pops over and he goes like, ooh, and he's like, he like moves like a uh, cartoon pole and he even makes yes. the noise like diddly leeling. Yeah. yeah. Sounds fun. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I prepared more comfortable arrangements. Yeah, I love all of that. It's brilliant. We get the Batwing in this film, which is cool. I forgot that it was in this film. Although Phantasm running away from it was at like super speed. Like she was running like the Flash. I was like, how well, fast what? can you run? What are like she? She has some of like she has this disappearing thing, which is never explained. By the way, no, that's true. Where'd she learn that? Yeah, it really fucks me off as well. Like that's another thing where I had a major <laughs> problem with. It was like I could have just had one scene where like she was into like 
I don't know, she went to school for some engineering or studied magic with Satana or something cool like that where yes, there's that a little tie-in. Cool. Because it just, I don't know, it makes no fucking sense to me. that. And she disappears a lot. And even Batman goes in to the smoke and like tries to clear it out and it's gone. I'm like, mate, you studied with the Houdini of the DC universe. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you could probably figure this be like, it's like that show where Penn and Teller sit down, they watch people do magic and they guess how they fucking did it. And nine times out of 10, they're absolutely right. You should be That's at that point. level. Yeah, I totally He's agree. He's like, I only did magic for like a semester. Like, it was a brief little thing. <laughs> or for the escaping, like the, the actual act, like, not for me. I'm into chains, you know, that's my kink, so. Yeah. <laughs> I got many. I brought it back around. The whole Batman versus the Gotham police scene, what did you think about that whole scene? Probably, like, one of my favorites from the film. Yeah. I love Batman being chased by the police. It's one of my, my yes. favorites. Yeah, me too. We haven't seen it since On Leather Wings, and it had another great, like, vibe. I like the stakes because Batman always gets away, but I love how he, like, you know, every turn in this in this film, there was another like group of policemen, you know, like every time he thought he was safe, he even does such a big jump at one point that he's like, if I land on my feet, I'm going to break my legs. So he takes it on the shoulder instead. I thought that was great. Bullock leading the charge of that as well, because like it just adds yes. another layer to him, not fucking like Batman. And my favorite shot is he's running through the alley with his mask off and the police are like on him. They're like right behind him. There is one thing that is a bit annoying to me, though, is that he took his cape and cowl off and they were connected as one so therefore he doesn't have his mask on anymore mm. but then much later on in the film when he takes out the uh helicopters he just takes his cape off to take them out and then puts his cape back on so i'm like did you did you just learn that you should separate them for scenarios <laughs> like this is that what we're saying here because if so like if you turn to the camera and be like, yeah, so you know how like, you know, the cops, they, they took my whole cable cow, big mistake, right? Like suddenly I'm just Bruce Wayne with a bad symbol on me. I learned this time, separate it, take it off, use it as a weapon, put it back on. Now, enjoy the rest of the show. What is this, like a talking heads, like office scenario where they're yeah. doing like a side thing? Yeah, I like that. We also get the Hut Hut SWAT team in this, the Hut 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 Hut. We haven't seen them since on Leather Wings. I thought that was great. And then I thought the whole... Bruce discovering Joker was one of the mobsters involved by drawing a red smile on the picture was a bit of a stretch. Like, yeah. uh, you, you know, like you could do that with anyone and you could be like the Joker, you know, like we just saw in a previous episode. He has that big machine, that 3D machine to like insert data for people's faces. <laughs> could you have not just done that with the Joker's face and seen that it was Jack Napier or whatever his character's name is in this? Yeah, it was so basic with a red pencil. And then I thought it'd be funny if he like started doodling on pictures of other people. Like he draws like a big nose on him. He's like, the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure about that one. So hang on, hang on, for another one. He cuts the face in half. He's like, oh my God, this guy is two-faced. It's like, so we know Harvey Dent is two-faced. <laughs> <laughs> no, Alfred, no, I'm onto something, Alfred. I'm onto something here. <laughs> He does like a bowler hat on another it's like, one. He's like, it's the Riddler. <laughs> Alfred, are you done with that chocolate bar? Can I have that? He takes a chocolate bar. So I was enjoying that. Just rubs it on someone. Oh my God, this guy's clay face, Alfred. Look at him. <laughs> the world's gayest detective. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Joker's look in his trench coat and his big fedora in this movie? Oh, I fucking love that look. And that scene of him coming into the office is just so Batman 89. Like yes. with Joker coming into the, the guy's office. And I just love it. And I loved everything. That's my actually my favorite Joker scene in the film is him meeting up with him. 
because he's like, I love how he's talking like, oh, what if Mr. Politician here was someone with his like old pal, you know, whatever he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old work and, colleague's daughter, yeah. And just, and like, uh, I like when he's like on the phone, he's like, shh. Yeah, and he's like giggling. Like, and yeah. I love how also where uh, he's, he still thinks it's Batman killing everyone. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. I've seen the guy. And he's like, looks more like the ghost of Christmas future. It's just it's such great delivery yeah. by Mark and Hamill. It's great dialogue. The scene when he like pins him down, like one, it looks like he stabs him, but then I'm like, is he fucking up? <laughs> like the oh, really? connotation there was like, it looked like he like bent him over the desk in the shadow. It was just like, ah, oh my God. Could you imagine that? Jesus Christ. On your stomachs, legs spread. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so that, yeah, instantly I love Arthur being poisoned by the laughing gas. The way he's laughing, being yes. told to control Classic. himself. And he's, he's like, I'm trying for God's sakes. As he's yeah, laughing. Don't you think those doctors were like, please, could you keep it down? Like we're, we've all worked a late shift. He's like, I can't control this, you <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> Do you know who the Joker is? Like, this right. is what he does. Well, we can give you a sediment that will knock you out, or we can give you this weak-ass shit the pharmaceutical companies are pushing on us, so we're just going to give you that instead. <laughs> it's not uh, working. Sir, please, there are other people in this hospital. I'm doing surgery in the next room. <laughs> Fuck <I'm so> you. <laughs> Fuck you, sir. You can get the fuck out of this hospital. Batman's showing up in his window as he's giggling and he says, oh no, I love that. And then, like, it's so great that he's telling Batman, like, how he's involved in all of this. Because he's a red herring, right? Throughout this whole film. And he's laughing the whole time he does it with such a great touch. Like, I think Laughing while he does it. That's true, yeah. I think that's great. Um, I think that's a really nice add to this whole film. So, uh, also, I wanted to talk about how the Joker is definitely fucking that robot that he's with yeah, in Futureland. Yeah, pulls pieces of her ass off. I know, and, like, smacks it, and he's, like... Why did he save the season? cheek piece for later? Like, is he going to, like, wank to that or something? <laughs> I don't know, but they're fucking real. Like, Joker's fucking a robot. Like, <laughs> that's so weird. Just, he's just alone in there, just having sex with this robot. <laughs> the robot's just like, I have just learned to love. <laughs> he also um, nearly gets his finger chopped off when that lady's cutting that baloney. Like, the way he chooses to take the baloney, he goes yeah. under the knife to get it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that does. dude lives dangerously. Living dangerously, the Joker. So then we get to Batman versus the Joker, which... Um, is an interesting fight, but the one thing I do love is when the Joker waves at Batman to get his attention and goes, Yoo-hoo! and giggles as he yeah. does it. I was like, that again is so Mark Hamill's Joker. Like, he's yes. just nailed it. I love it. I actually, like, I know we're watching this earlier than in production order, but I've really missed his Joker, and it was great to see him in this film. Like, we haven't had Joker for a long time in our episodes. Well, we got Joker's favorite next, which is, my in my opinion, Besides the Laughing Fish, the best Joker episode. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So there are many love that Batman moments in this film. Um, we haven't really like gone through because there's just so many. But I got one. I got my top one. I've got my top one. Okay, you go first then. Which is your top one? It's very, very simple. It's when that guy's in bed and they shut the door and he's alone in the hospital room and you see the shadow of Batman's ears grow across his body. I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, actually, that is a really good moment. My one is really random, 
but I it's always stuck out to me and I love it so much. I love the framing and the shot. So Batman's chasing the Joker, right? And he enters the tunnel and there's light coming from underneath the archways to him on the left. And Batman like runs into the tunnel. He hears Joker like laughing and echoing his voice in the distance. And he just turns around and he does this pose and the framing of the shot looks so good. And then he runs towards the camera and he'd like, see his bat signal. And I'm just like, yes, oh, I know. he looks so cool. I know exactly the scene that you're talking about. That was another cool Batman yeah. scene. He, he looks great. So Batman obviously escapes the, all the explosions as Andrea takes Joker away in a cloud of, of smoke. Uh, I thought Batman looked really cool coming out of the water when he's like out of the fun fair and he's just watching the explosions happen. I thought that was another cool shot. And then let's talk about that Alfred scene at the end, because this is where Efren Zimbus Jr. like brings his A game as Alfred. Like there's something about his voice and how like soft and concerning it, it all is like instantly makes me pay attention. And the way he delivers that line to Bruce, where he's just like, you walk that tightrope every night and I thank God that you haven't fallen into that abyss. But like Andrea did years ago and there's nothing you could have done to save her. Like, of course I'm not doing the lines any justice, but it's just so well delivered by effort. It's, it's um, amazing. And he comforts Bruce. And I think it's the best, potentially the best Alfred scene I've seen yet, or maybe in the whole show, because yeah, it's 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 his father figure and it's saying it's at the same time it's saying i'm proud of you that you haven't become someone like andrea due to your past tragedies but it's also him feeling sorry for him because you know alfred wanted him and andrea to to work it out and be Mm. a relationship because you can you know deep down alfred just wants him to be happy right there was just there's many layers to that whole speech of just how alfred's feeling and I think it's beautiful. It's really heart to heart, great stuff. Alfred might be like my favorite character in Batman that I think about it because he could be a cheeky sod and very funny. Yeah, yeah he can. Uh, he's a posh old English bloke. Uh, he can be stern but and, and, and loving. Like the dude has range, right? Like as a character, mm. he is, has a he lot can, of range. He can be the hero and, and save Batman. He saved him a few times already in this show. Mm-hmm we've seen yeah and uh, like that speech as well the fact that he says you know you walk that that line every night and i i thank god that you haven't fallen into that pit like we get a real insight into alfred there of like every night bruce goes out as batman he's thinking like is this going to be the night you know like is this the night where he goes too far and he's just so thankful that every also, time like, he comes home that he is that he hasn't he's probably thinking as well like all right so people find out he's bruce wayne is he can like grasp me up am i gonna go to jail it's like an accessory mm. for knowing, like all this stuff like i still want to do my alfred comic which i won't say what the story is on this air but you know what it is and it's dope. i do yeah well we'll talk about a comic um at the end of this review that uses a lot of characters from this film that we came up with but we're right at the end now so at the end bruce finds the locket he gave andrea in the bat cave and then we cut to andrea on a boat being hit on by some drunk guy and can i just say that scene made me laugh because the guy says like I'm sorry, do you want to be alone? And Andrea quickly and sadly says, I am. Yeah. And then it's silence. And if I was that guy, I'd be like, okay, that was the weirdest fucking way of you saying that. Like, also, why, why are you so weird? Unrealistic that a super drunk guy goes up to a woman and then just suddenly leaves her alone. Like, that's <laughs> yes. not how reality works. Sadly. No, sadly. Instead, no. Of he'd be like, looks like you could use some company. And then, <laughs> then that guy would be chucked overboard. 
Yeah, she just kills him with her scythe hand. She just slices his yeah, head she's off. Like, she's like, I am alone. He's like, not anymore. I'm, I'm here, baby. Yeah. <laughs> just pushes him off the deck. We then get the classic camera panning up the sides of the buildings and come to see Batman on a rooftop, all stoic, and then the bat signal lights, and he swings into action, and that's the end of the film. And then we get this really dated song, which is the most dated part of this whole movie. Uh, Tia Carrera's song, I Never Even Told You, plays over the credits. And you said you didn't stick around to listen. But it was a song that was written for this film and very much feels like the film attempts to like adopt a Bond song almost right. in the way they're doing it. Would you like to hear some of this song? All right, go on then. Sounds like a weird, like, hi, you're joining us at 7 p.m. for the late show. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. This is like showing, like, cutting of, like, a lady, like, helping children and, like, old ladies and all this type of stuff. Yeah. So you're saying your husband doesn't look at you the same anyway after 25 years anymore, huh? You're very Bond, right? This was written for this movie. That's what this was written for. Sounds like it was made in 1993. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. All right, that's enough of that. Um, Does it ever yeah. pick up? It's so somber. Yeah, the, the chorus is like, I never even told you, but it's still kind of like the same. Hey, I am the Gimp Man. <laughs> I didn't tell you my kinks. It's just so Get on weird. your stomach, your hands are <laughs> spread. Get in my bed <laughs> tonight. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird one because it just so randomly starts playing. And you're like, what is this? Like if you've just watched this Batman animated film and it's got all this orchestral music and suddenly it's got this like very dated, sexy, like we're getting down saxophone music and it's really yeah. soft. It's very weird. Um, so that is the end of our Master Phantasm review. Uh, we've done it, bud. Well done. We've gotten through all of it. And I would say overall, I really enjoyed watching it again. Um, I had a good time watching this movie. Yeah, there's some problems that I noticed and we've talked about. But overall, like for an animated film, you know, like this brings a lot of great lore to the DC animated universe. And uh, I think it's, it's just a really great way of like explaining Batman's origin story in this. It's, universe a, well. it's a bold movie because you're taking a kid's cartoon and making a film and you choose to do a love story, uh, mm. an origin story for the hero and the villain. Um, and a revenge, not who done it, but reveal. Like, it's an interesting concept for a kid's uh, yeah. cartoon film. Very strange. I feel like Sub Zero is more on pace for what you'd expect from a, a yes. children's cartoon movie. Because I will say one thing I I felt in this movie was it, there is a lack of action um, for a Batman project. Right. Not and not that I'm like craving action, but it just wasn't there for me. Like it was hard. Batman was felt hardly in this Batman movie. This wasn't, this wasn't a movie about Batman. It was a movie about Bruce Wayne and all yeah. of the surrounding people. So 
that's the only problem I have with it. I don't really like the third act. I think there's some strange choices there. And you're right. The second act does drag a little bit. So mm. uh, right now, upon reflection, I, I I think I'd watch the clips I like from this movie, but I don't really have any interest in seeing it fully again. That's fair. I mean, I know I'll watch this movie probably a bunch of times after this because I've always loved it. I remember seeing this film for the first time that I remember at least was when we had moved to New Jersey because like 1993, I may have watched this like before we moved to America, but I was just too young to remember. But I remember watching this in New Jersey when I was like 10 and just being like, this is great. Like I loved seeing Batman as a vigilante and like his story of how he became Batman. And this is the first movie that has ever shown that, right? Like, Mm. All the Batman movies that came before this, we know his parents were shot. Yeah, we have a flashback in Batman 89 of his parents being shot, but we never see his journey into like becoming Batman. You know, Batman well, Forever was really after this. Him. Well, you, you at least see him like being a vigilante and like I made a vow to my parents and like trying to draft up like what his suit's going to yeah. look like and, you know, all of that cool stuff. And yeah, I just Which, think that... By the way, he great. just drew the Bat costume without the ears and yeah, threw it away. Did. Yeah, like, he did. That's ridiculous. But yeah. I guess as an artist, I understand like you're so fucking close without realizing it. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed this. And we were talking about uh, stories like you were talking about your Alfred story. And there was a story that you and I both wrote that like heavily influenced by Batman the Animated Series that we were doing as fun with maybe this will get made one day, but it would just remains as something fun which we called Batman Demons, which was all about exploring like someone's Batman's past, but also uh, it was mobsters versus the Arkham villains of Gotham. If you remember, we kind of separated them. The premise was, is that the mob was sick of the, the super villains and all these weird monstrosities and things. And they wanted to take Gotham back and make it about the mob again and not about organized crime freaks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, still a cool monsters. story. It, it is a cool story. And who knows, maybe it's been done by now. I have no probably idea. Has. Probably has, but I, I really liked our version. I really liked how like villains chose sides. Like some chose to join the mob and others didn't. Yeah. I thought it was great. Um, but one thing that we also did is all the, the mobsters in this, Chucky Soul, Sal Balestra, Buzz Bronski, we all had them in our story because it was like, who were these guys before they obviously went to Phantasm mm. were killed um, and I really like that. Like for me, I loved using those characters because those are names that I always, for some reason, I remember them like Sal Valestra, Buzz Bronski, Chucky Soul. Like they just stick out in my brain as like, oh yeah, those are gangster names. Like I, I like those a lot. I think they're great. So next up, we have a returning special guest. A very special episode is coming up next. This person has been on the show already, as I said, but also has a lot to do with the making of this film. So we are going to continue our Mask of the Phantasm chat with that person. Um, Sadly, Will won't be able to make that one. It's been really hard with everything he's got going on with deadlines and stuff to be able to make a lot of these guest interviews. So you've been listening uh, to other episodes. It's just been me recently. That's the reason why, not because Will doesn't like me or our guests. (laughs) It's because he's too busy. Too busy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So that will be our next episode. Then we have another special guest. We have a writer from the new Adventures of Batman that's coming on. He's also written other various DCAU shows. Then we'll probably have a Cape Capers compilation part two episode thrown in there to keep you all fed up with content. Keep you all fed. Daddy's going to give you some content. Um, 
And then we're going to have a little two-week break because this is during all of my move and my brother's deadlines. And then we're going to take a holiday. We've got some holidays planned in October. So we will be back after those episodes in late October to review Joker's Favor. So you've got a bunch of episodes coming up, some great guests, then a little break, and then we'll be back. So usually this is where I go into like the games for my brother and I take in all your listener reviews and comments and we have our, our guest the song game. Um, because this is a very long and special episode, we're not going to be doing that in this episode. We'll be doing that in obviously the next one and as we continue on. But as this is special and it was a big old jam-packed episode, this is where the episode ends. So if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever you're listening to us on right now as it helps us back grapple up the charts and attract both new listeners and guests. And if you leave a review, we might read it out on the pod at the end of each episode. And please subscribe or follow us on your preferred podcast platform of choice if you haven't yet already also you can follow us on social media at batman tas pod on instagram tiktok facebook youtube everywhere but the app formerly known as twitter which is at batman tas pod one and that's because why because we are the number one batman the animated series podcast you goddamn right. And in the description of this episode, you'll find a tip jar where you can give us any amount of money you can afford to give if you so wish. As we aren't billionaire playboy philanthropists, any amount you can afford to give us is not necessary, but always greatly appreciated. And finally, you can follow me everywhere at Chef Alex Robson, and you can follow Will on his socials to stay up to date on what he's working on and get a glimpse into the workday of a comic book artist and writer. Will, where can our listeners find you? Anywhere on the internet at Robson Inc. or on my website speechcomics.com where you can get a preview of my current Kickstarter book and read a chapter of one of the books for free, which is written and drawn by me. That's Dead Eye Dick. Please go check out my Kickstarter. I'm trying to do some amazing things with it and I need your help to get it from point A to point B. So I love you all. I'm a very friendly guy. I make you laugh. You think of my voice, you think of a good time. Now <laughs> think of my voice and think about losing some money. So give me your money. <laughs> you goddamn bitch. And fuck you. Thank you. <laughs> so hot and cold. Um, yeah. I love you, but don't cross me. And that's what <laughs> yeah, what he said. Uh, absolutely go check it out. And if you can't pledge to it, that's okay. Share it around because that's also super important and super helpful as well. And that's all the time we've got for this week. Join us next time where we'll continue talking all things Batman, the animated series. Until then, I've been Alex Robson. I've been Will Robson. And remember that we are vengeance, we are the night, we are a podcast. A doodles! Farewell, Mr. Bronsky. Man, it's a hot one. Milk was a bad choice. You're so smooth. <laughs> That's the big you're like the ocean on the moon. It's the same as the emotion that I mean in you. You got a love that will no move. You give me your heart, you real. We are going bow down. Oh, hey. Santana. Hell yeah. It's a classic. It is a classic. I dig that song. I heard that recently and I was like, this is a good song, man. I'm getting down to this. It's a fucking banger. Yeah, it is. I like it.
Unlike the song in the credits of this movie, did you stick around oh, I, in the credits? I didn't stick around for the credits song. I saw like oh. about to be sung this song. I was like, I yeah. did, and then I left. <laughs> so nineties and like loads of saxophone, and it tried to be like a Bond song. Uh, we'll, well talk about it. The the best post Batman song ever is "Kiss from a Rose" by Seal absolutely i can't believe like that's you know I, I recently made a playlist on spotify where there's songs that were made for movies that just transcended the movie yeah you know what i mean like i consider was Kiss rose made for batman forever the music video has him on the rooftop with the bat signal shining and he's singing really yes it was made for that movie which is crazy. i just want to go with robin and find the riddler <laughs> my pleasure to face <laughs> Alfred. <laughs> also what's crazy is like kiss from a rose that makes more sense for poison ivy and like batman and yes, robin like that's a very good point you know they always i've always felt like they confuse the titles of those movies like batman forever should be called batman and robin because it's yeah. the first time we see robin and then the next one where he like you know goes on to be batman and he has batgirl come in and like Ooh, alfred that it will my legacy will live on forever through these other people exactly yeah yeah it's been but, talked about a million times you're not bringing anything new to the table one I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying you I think, think it's you came point. up with this point, but it's been talked about <laughs> on the internet since the beginning of the internet. Okay, well, I haven't heard anyone say "Kiss from a Rose" should be in. I that just movie. realized this movie's got the wrong title. <laughs> Wait, that will always remind me now of Boys Sunny and Danny DeVito saluting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Desert Rose. I'm your yeah. Desert Rose. <laughs> yeah, the but yeah, I I, th- I thought about movies with songs that were written for them that transcended there's um uh tell uh, not tell me doctor the uh the power of love from back to the future At the power of another one that turtles, transcended that. it is turtles you're right i can hear that in the video game like that that theme hmm. um i can't remember i put a bunch on there but i was like yes this is written for the movie but like don't need no credit card to ride this train <laughs> great line it's a good banger yeah another banger all right you ready to talk about this yeah all right let's do it let's do in three two one